Welcome to Polly Wanna Podcast, a polyamory podcast. I'm your host, Britt Vosicek. In this season, we're going on deep dives into polyamory and all the aspects of ourselves that it brings up. No filter, no bullshit, and no unicorn hunting. Enjoy the show. Today, I am tuning in to talk about relationships that come in groups of three. You might be familiar with relationships that come in groups of three because it is the most common way that polyamorous relationships are portrayed in the media. Generally, if you're reading a polyamorous article online, the stock photo will be of two ladies and a dude. And generally, they're white and cis, not that I'm calling anyone out. And though this is not how polyamory always looks, I believe that the reason it is so popular and so pervasive in the media that we consume is because we live in a heteronormative culture, which we'll talk about a lot as we explore relationships that come in threes. So relationships that come in threes might be described as triads, threesomes, thruples. These are ways that you can identify and define relationships where there are three people that are involved with each other. It doesn't always have to be a polyfidelity arrangement. Polyfidelity means that the people that are inside of the relationship are only sleeping with and romantically involved with one another. Or you can be in an open triad, which does not subscribe to polyfidelity, where all three people that are in the relationship are free to do their own thing. So one thing that I want to address pretty early on when we're talking about relationships that come in groups of three is couples privilege. It's important to remember that not all polyamorous relationships begin with a couple opening up to accept another person into their relationship, but this broken idea of what polyamory is is so common because of our heteronormative, monogamous normative society. So when we talk about couples privilege within a relationship, we're often talking about the concept of unicorn hunting, where a couple opens up their relationship uh, with the idea that a third person is going to join their couple and then transform that relationship into a new one. There's a lot of fucked up things about that. I will say that unicorn hunting exists. Um, I see it in the kink community. I even see it acceptable to some polyamorous people. As someone who has been damaged in that way, I don't find it an effective way to conduct polyamory, and I definitely don't recommend it. I don't feel that it's ethical, but I will say that a lot of people really are only open to non-monogamy if they're able to prioritize their primary relationship, and so finding ethical and comfortable ways to do that for them, I really don't see a problem with, but... It is important for those people to acknowledge that couples privilege does exist and to constantly be checking in and working on any behaviors or patterns that can emerge from couples privilege. Because couples privilege doesn't just exist in non-monogamous relationships, it exists in our society and in our world. Married couples and coupled people are prioritized in a lot of social, economic, and even, you know, religious or romantic ways. And the idea of getting married and finding the one or finding your soulmate or having a lifelong partner, all of those concepts are highly revered and put on a pedestal culturally. 
And so when we're in a non-monogamous relationship, if two of those people that are in the relationship started as a couple, it is their responsibility to acknowledge and work on couples privilege within their relationship. So my recommendation for couples that are in a relationship that want to open up but don't see the problem with unicorn hunting or don't want to acknowledge the problems that come with inviting a third quote-unquote person into a relationship, it might be more useful to just hire a sex worker and get the things that you need sexually without having to have any responsibility to the relationship. And if that conversation seems more difficult to have, then a conversation about opening up your relationship to invite a third person who is not a sex worker, who would have an emotional entanglement with you, then maybe examine why that might be. Because I don't think that all couples that want to open up their relationship are done for or trying to save the relationship with a threesome. I really don't think that's inherently true. But if you are noticing in your relationship some signs of self-sabotage, it is really important not to invite a third person into that dynamic. Because after you have sex with another person, if you've been monogamous for so long, a lot of emotions can come up and it can create a space that is emotionally unsafe for the person that you have slept with. And I don't know the exact amount of therapy or conversations that a couple would have to have beforehand in order to prevent that. But I do know that those conversations and how they go beforehand, however those conversations play out, is exactly how you can expect opening up your relationship to go. So if it's difficult to get to therapy to talk about things like this, if it's difficult to get through a conversation about it or have imaginings about it, then you're not ready. And I also highly recommend that couples separate if they need to and leaving one another to go explore what it's like to sleep with and date other people might be exactly what your relationship needs. And because we have this dynamic in our mind where we hold couples that are married and monogamous and have a perfect relationship in such high regard, it can be difficult for us to admit to ourselves that we want that. And it can feel like ending a relationship is a failure. But really, as long as the individuals are happy, healthy, safe, and respected, there is no failed relationship. So I know a lot of people really cringe when they hear the word thruple, but it's my favorite and I think it's cute and quirky. So that's the word that I use. Now we're going to talk about how to make sure that thruples thrive. So the first way, as with any relationship, if you want to be sure that you're being ethical, safe, happy, and sweet in this relationship is to name all of the privileges that exist in this relationship. Are there any race, gender dynamics, any remnants of couples privilege, if any of these people have been in relationships in the past? All of the things that can create an unfair dynamic for any of the people involved should be named up front. And then the people that are most affected by this privilege are given the opportunity to name some requests or some boundaries that they have around that. So for example, as a woman, there is a dynamic of male privilege if I'm in a throuple with a man and another woman. And so me and this other woman may be able to see when that privilege is being enacted, but the man might be a little blind to it, right? So my request is that, you know, the other woman that's in this throuple with me 
feel comfortable to name that and that we support each other in acknowledging and naming when the privilege is enacted in our relationship. And then the other request that I may have is that the man in this relationship or a person that has been socialized as a man also be open to hearing about any situations or communication issues or small little relationship oppressions that can be triggering or stifling the relationship. So that's a little example encapsulated on how to bring forth any privileged dynamics that exist in the relationship and then how to communicate about them. And this might feel crunchy, it might feel unsafe, but my hope is that your relationship is full of love and communication. And so hopefully it can come really easy to everyone involved. If you feel trapped in a relationship with someone who is not willing to acknowledge their privilege, then maybe that's not a relationship that you want to be in. I'm not here to call anyone out or tell anyone how to live their life, but it might be useful to examine whether or not those dynamics are important to you. And when it comes to throuples, the ability for people to, I'll use the term gang up on um, or turn against one person in the relationship is really prevalent. The potential for that definitely exists. And so it may not be useful to create an equal playing field, quote unquote, when it comes to like time and intention and sex, but it might be important to include some kind of relationship agreement that means that all of the people that are in this relationship have an equal amount of say and an equal amount of attention when it comes to problems that they're having or feelings of disconnection that might be occurring. So the second thing after acknowledging privilege that I would like to advise people that are in these throuples or triads is to consider where you want the relationship to go. So those of us that have been in monogamous relationships might be familiar with the feeling of wanting to escalate or go to the next level. And this happens in polyamorous relationships as well, where the amount of time that we're spending together, the amount of assets that we have together, the amount of connection and intimacy is always flowing and changing. And it can grow to a point where we want to make changes in the relationship that mean that we are more responsible to one another around stuff like that. So that can mean moving towards polyfidelity. That can mean opening up the conversation saying, hey, I would prefer if we were all responsible to one another. How do we feel about that? You also have the added bonus of just suggesting or naming that you feel like the relationship should escalate and you're feeling that escalation energy and then just asking everyone else, Like, hey, I feel like we should escalate in some way or make some kind of commitment to one another. And that doesn't have to look like fidelity, but what would it actually look like for us? Because we are three unique autonomous people in a relationship dynamic together, and we can have our own specific rituals and decisions and life that is built around that. And that's such a beautiful conversation to be able to have because no triad is ever going to look the same. One of the greatest benefits and greatest fallouts of polyamory is that there is so much out there about how to be monogamous and how to escalate a relationship when it's just two of you. We have marriage and couples rights that are just written into law already, but for polyamorous 
triads and throuples, we really get to decide how we want it to look and how we want to be fair to one another. And we can do that in a way that doesn't necessarily subscribe to a mononormative or heteronormative society. So to recap, so far, we've gone over acknowledging privilege and understanding escalation and how escalation would work in your relationship. And then I kind of want to go over something that's a little more intense, which is relationship agreements. Relationship agreements are useful in any relationship, but they are specifically useful in a situation where there are three people that because of the style of their relationship have less rights legally to things like attention and time with children, assets that are cured or accumulated and purchased over time, things like unpaid labor that gets done by some members of a triad and then does not get done by others, or things like social expectations. How do we want to perform our relationship in the world? So having agreements around these things, I believe, is an important part of the escalation conversation as well. If a relationship is escalated to the point where you do have property together, or there is someone that's at home all the time and someone that's at work all the time, or if there are children in the relationship that everyone loves, it's important to sit down as soon as you can to kind of outline some feelings, some responsibilities, and some checklists. I know I'm a Virgo, so that's easy for me to say, but there are so many people in this world that could really benefit from this conversation. How do we want to treat each other with a level of respect and autonomy that gives us all the freedom to safely love in this relationship without fear of the relationship ending and without any contention around what would happen if the relationship did? And these kinds of safety nets that can be written down or that can be discussed in uh, Uh, therapy of some kind, those kinds of decisions are going to be sure to protect the people that are involved in this relationship if things do go sour. The more people you have in a relationship, the more randomization there is as far as actions and activities. And so if there is some kind of miscommunication, if there is some kind of difficult situation in one individual's life that is going to massively impact the other people in the relationship, it is so important to plan for things that We don't want, but may happen. Expect the unexpected. Hope for the best. Plan for the worst. And these kinds of decisions early on in a relationship can feel kind of unsexy or unromantic. But I do believe that the most important thing to remember about polyamory, as sad as it sounds, is that because the relationship dynamic is so open to new ideas and new opportunities and new relationship agreements and dynamics, it is also open to an incredible amount of manipulation and abuse. Just because you're not monogamous does not mean that you cannot get taken advantage of. And just because you're not monogamous doesn't mean that you can get fucked over in a really bad breakup. And I think that in polyamory, we can sometimes forget that we need to be responsible to one another because of the way that polyamory is seen in the world. We need to make sure that we are protecting ourselves and each other from things like social, legal, economic, and parenthood style scrutiny because those things can come back to bite us in the ass and ruin our lives. So I really want people to consciously 
engage in polyamorous relationships, especially at this point in escalation, when there are things like assets and children involved. I think that so much of what I read about in the media is just about sex and threesomes. And when we're talking about relationships that come in groups of three, it can be really easy for us to also be really engaged and excited about the sex and the emotional connection and just the next step or the next day. But having a valid plan for how we want these relationships to play out has the risk of ending a relationship early, but it also has the opportunity to create a safe relationship, the kind of relationship that you feel that you are meant for and that you actually desire. So maybe some of you came here wanting to learn about how to have sex with two people at once, so I won't leave you hanging. I do think that it's important to also talk about the sexual aspect as well as the economic aspect of relationships in our sexually oppressed and economically thriving society, so I'll do both. If you've never had a threesome before, it can be either the wildest, most exciting fantasy or the biggest fear of your life. And as someone who has had so many threesomes, I'm here to say that they can be delightful, but they do require some consciousness and some communication, or at least that's been true for me. So if you're engaging with sex with multiple people and you want to be sure to be safe, get a whole box of condoms if there's someone in the relationship that has a dick and be sure to be switching your condoms between insertions so that the things that you penetrate do not infect the other things that you penetrate. This is not only super sweet and sexy of you, but it also is a great way to prevent STIs. So if you're going back and forth with a condom between um, two penetrative holes, then you can transmit STIs that way. Threesome sex, keep that in mind. Another thing to remember is that penetrative sex is not the only kind of sex that you can have. So if we're in a dynamic where there are three people and we aren't getting the kind of penetrative experience that we want, this is a great time to use our creativity and find other ways of having sex that we really do enjoy. And also finding other ways of reaching orgasm that do not require the use of someone else's body. Another really sweet thing about threesomes is the amount of communication. Sometimes we go into it a little drunk or a little stoned, and so we don't have all of our faculties there. If you want to remain sober for the first time you're having sex with two people, that's a really great way to do it because then you'll be more aware around your communication and your feelings in the moment. And this can range from like really heavy stuff to like, oh no, I feel jealous, let's stop, to light stuff like, oh, this is what I want in and on my body. Another really great thing to add to your threesome experience is to have each person name something that they really want to experience before the threesome is over. So for some people, that might be orgasm. That's really high on their list. For some people, it might be having one thing in this hole and a hand right here. It can look so many different ways. So have that conversation before the threesome starts. I think it's a really great way to have some foreplay as well. Some people are open to and even prefer having threesome sex casually, which is totally an option. You are allowed to do that. I think that making some extra emotional and sexual precautions, the norm is preferred. But I will say that even I have drunkenly had threesomes with strangers. So if you're in a situation where you're nervous about threesomes, maybe don't start there. But also keep in mind, the more threesomes you have, Just like regular sex, 
the more comfortable it becomes. So as long as you're staying present for yourself and realizing what you need out of the experience and how to keep everyone in the experience as safe as possible, then you should have a good time. Have a good time. Let your hair down. Get nasty. Thanks for listening.